0: Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Toleric Community Church. We'll hear now from the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is what it says. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias... About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we hear your word, I pray you fill us up with your spirit. I pray that you would soften our hearts so that we might delight in your presence. I pray that you would sharpen our minds so that we can discern your truth and shape our wills so that we can do- desire your ways. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Will the Lord be with you? Thanks so much. My name is Ty, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Tulare Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We are in our second week of our new sermon series called Thy Will Be Done, where we're looking at the different types of prayer or the themes of prayer. Last week, Pastor Ryan, he uh, taught us about intercessory prayer, meaning to come between or to mediate between two things. And he taught us that as Christians, we are called to pray not only for our own souls, but for others. For our communities and for the world beyond. And today, we're going to look at prayers of repentance. It's a word that's been used in the church for a long time and a word that brings with it a variety of different feelings based on one's past. If you grew up in the church, maybe just saying the word repentance makes you feel a little uneasy. Like maybe if you grew up in the Catholic church, you might be wondering right now, where, where is he going with this exactly? I didn't see any confession booths when I walked in here, just spaceships, planets. You might have thought you walked into the Church of Scientology or something when you got here this morning. <laughs> Don't worry, we're not going to ask you to repent or uh, stand up and, and meet with a pastor and confess at the end of the service. That's not what we're going to do this morning, but maybe this term is one that you've never heard before. And you don't really know how, to, how it applies to Jesus, to, to the Bible, to this crazy story that we just heard a minute ago. But wherever you're at today, the good news is that repentance is for all of us, and repentance is a joy. Now, when Pastor Ryan told me that I'd be preaching uh, on this topic, at first I was like, all right, you know, this is going to be a challenging word for us to hear as a church, but... This is, this is good, it's important, it's good for us to think about what repentance looks like both in the life of the church and in our personal lives. So I thought to myself, sure, let's do this, this is going to be great. Then I realized that it fell on VBS week, a week of fun, a week of joy, a week of celebration, a week where all of our kids who had an absolute blast are inviting their family and their friends to come and hear them perform this amazing song. And I thought to myself, I can't be a Debbie Downer. I can't rain on the parade that's happening this morning. And then I looked at the scripture, the scripture that we as a teaching team identified at the very beginning of the year. And I'm like, Ananias and Sapphira? They don't pray a prayer of repentance. And also, spoiler alert, they don't make it to the end of the story. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with that? thought to myself, thanks, Ryan. It's great. Enjoy vacation. I'll handle this. And then it hit me. Repentance isn't just an essential element of the Christian faith. It doesn't just play a huge role in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. When viewed correctly, repentance is actually a joy. You know, often when we think of repentance, we picture really sad faces heavy hearts, right? That's what we picture. Verda, imagine just for a moment the body language that goes with repentance. We think of just the body just slumped over, shoulders bent, head down, moping around. But I want to remind you today that repentance is a cause for great joy. It's a cause for celebration. With the right view of repentance, we should be filled with hope. With the right view of repentance, we are invited to embrace the transformative grace of our loving Father, that grace that He freely offers us. But we have to follow through with it. Just because the pathway for repentance has been given to us doesn't mean that we always do a great job as Christians of using it. Think about it. When's the last time we truly just prayed with nothing else but repentant hearts? So let's go back to the scripture for today and see what we can learn about this topic of repentance and how it should play a role in our prayer life. Ananias and Sapphira chose to sell a piece of their property and give it to the group of believers to help those in need. And they claim that they're giving all the profits. Now, if we go back one chapter, we find out a little bit about their motives. They see another believer sell a piece of his property, give all of his profits, And he gets praised. And not only does he get get praised, he gets a new nickname. I mean, he is celebrated. celebrated. I want some of that, right? They see that. I want to be praised like that, guys. Let's do the same thing. we got some property we haven't been using. Let's do exactly that. But before they give it to Peter, this husband and wife team, they conspire together to hold back some of the profits while claiming to give it all. And so they go to Peter and they say, hey, here, here it is. Here's all of it. Wish we could have given more, but I'm pretty sure it's a little more than the last guy I gave. This is what we want to give to the church. And Peter, in this moment, is blessed with an ability that our God has, an ability to see everything, to see right through. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so Peter says, bro, how did Satan fill your heart with greed so much that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? I know you kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land, and to make matters worse, that land belonged to you before you sold it. And even after you sold it, that money belonged to you. It was yours to do with whatever you wanted. So why would you do this? And here is the real dagger. Peter said, you didn't lie to us, you lied to God. See, the big fail here wasn't just telling a lie, right? If they had told a lie, then most of the people in in Jerusalem, most of the believers at that time would have been experiencing the same exact fate. There would have been bodies dropping left and right. Now, the big fail, what Peter just said, Ananias and Sapphira didn't lie to the people. They were trying to deceive God. They wanted to appear to God more generous than they actually were. They were proving with their actions that material possessions and things of this world were more important to them than God, but at the same time acting as if God was their sole desire. They overlooked the fact that God has standards for His people and that He holds His people accountable to think that they could deceive God who knows all and sees all. It proved that they had allowed their healthy fear of God to fade away, but they wanted to be seen as people who respected his authority, who would make great sacrifices to honor his name. What Ananias and Sapphira didn't understand was that their actions didn't just affect them. Their deceit threatened the unity and the trust that had been formed within the early church, and God was not going to stand by idly and just let this happen. And yet, even in the midst of this epic fail, Ananias had an opportunity at this very moment to receive the grace and mercy that was offered by God. He had an opportunity to apologize, to accept blame, to confess his sin, and repent. But instead, He chose to keep playing the lie. And what happened? Ananias drops dead right there. Three hours later, Sapphira comes to Peter, not knowing where her husband has been, and she too is given an opportunity to repent. Peter says, Sapphira, this amount you and Ananias gave, I've been checking Zillow, looking at some properties, and is this really the total profit? She says emphatically, yes, that's the price. And Peter looks deep into her eyes. As he shakes his head in anguish, he says, How could you plan to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, you hear those footsteps? The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out also. And boom, she hits the floor. Now, again, I admit this is a sobering story, it's shocking. So where's the joy found in repentance? Where do we even begin? I mean, where should have Ananias and Sapphira started? Well, the first step towards experiencing the joy of repentance is recognizing that we are sinners in need of God's grace. I know, not super fun. Just go with me, all right? We as Christians believe in this thing called total depravity, which is basically just a fancy name for the recognition that we are all sinful. If you've grown up in the church, if you've went to church or you hung out with any Christians worth their salt, then there's a strong chance that you've heard them admit openly that they are sinners. If they haven't, you're probably not hanging out with some very great Christians, right? What we often overlook about this truth is that by recognizing our sin, we magnify the beauty and the measure of God's grace. Because it's only in our brokenness that we experience the fullness of his redeeming love. And it's in this realization that we begin to be filled with joy, knowing that no sin is too great for God's grace to overcome. Now, half of you in the room just got warm, fuzzy feelings hearing that, right? No sin is too great for God's grace to overcome. The other half in the room just had a question pop into your brains, If no sin is too great for God's grace to overcome, then what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Well, two things. Just because repentance is offered as a pathway to grace and forgiveness doesn't mean that all people act on it. And secondly, Ananias and Sapphira's sin teaches us about the destructive power of sin. Yes, it's good to recognize our sin, but we don't overlook the destructive power of sin in our life. Because sin left unchecked can corrupt our hearts. Sin left unchecked can cloud our judgment. And sin left unchecked can lead us away from God's truth. See, sin left unchecked not only damages our relationship with God, but it also begins to affect our relationship with others. So it's not something to take lightly, but it's also not something that should paralyze us. Ananias and Sapphira thought that they could deceive God, that their sin against him would be overlooked, that they would be able to benefit from their scheme to steal recognition. So to recap, we're all sinners in need of God's grace and there's hope because we serve a God who cares deeply about us, but it takes action on our parts. The second reason repentance is a joy is because when we look at it the correct way, we see that the act of praying... Asking for repentance isn't a burden. It's a gift from our Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit, who was a gift to believers, convicts us and enables us to turn away from sin. I want you guys to think about it this way. The very fact that we desire repentance is proof positive of God's transformative work within us. Right? When we do something, or when we think to do something that we know we shouldn't, and we feel that in us and we go, that's not right. That wouldn't be the character of Christ. That proves that we have asked God into our hearts, and that we desire to reflect Christ's image. It's proof positive God's working in us. So now we're gonna, we're beginning to see how we can view repentance as a joy in our life. But I mean, let's be honest: we've all gotten in trouble before. We've all had to confess to a parent. We've all had to confess to a grandparent, a teacher, a coach, maybe even a judge, when we've messed up and, and done something wrong. We know that that's not fun. So where's the joy? Where's the delight in confession at? Well, part of what makes prayer, and prayer of repentance specifically, and the act of confession a delight and not a heavy burden, is the fact of what it brings. The outcome of repentance and confession is liberation. liberation. Through repentance and confession, we experience the freedom of being known and loved by God. And we should rejoice in this knowledge that in His presence, there is no need to hide or pretend. That God invites us to approach Him with open hearts, knowing that He receives our repentance and confession with open arms. And a big part of getting to that place is being able to know ourselves well enough to distinguish when we are in a state of contrition or a state of attrition. Now, what does that mean? Attrition is when we feel bad about what we've done, but not because of the fact that it was offensive to God, but because we know that it's going to lead to a real rough punishment, that it's linked to fear, right? We say it all the time about kids, right? You're not sad because you did the wrong thing. You're sad because you got caught, and you know what's going to come after that, right? At least that's what my parents told me, and I was sad about what was going to come next. Thank goodness they didn't spare the rod, right? But it's contrition, right? Contrition. That's the attitude that marks repentance. In contrition, a person recognizes that the primary problem with sin, any sin, is that it is a direct offense against God himself of course, that takes a very high view of God, right? So attrition, right, it's all about ourselves. We're afraid. I messed up and I got caught, right? We see this in the example with Judas. Judas had betrayed Jesus. He felt attrition. He was sorry for what he had done only in the sense that he wished that he could undo it because of the punishment that it was going to bring. But contrite people understand that they deserve punishment. And they confessed that the Lord would be in the right place to inflict punishment if he so desired. Contrite people balance this idea of deserved justice and hope of forgiveness. It's the hope of forgiveness that is, that's what drives them to go before the Lord to express their sorrow even though they recognize that God does not owe them a pardon, a pardon, that he does not owe them forgiveness. And we see probably one of the best examples of this in the Bible in Psalm chapter 51. I want you to listen to the words Sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with the hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of your righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. See, David recognized it at the most basic level. God is the one he offended, and the Lord would be blameless to condemn him. If we don't have that attitude when we pray for repentance, then we haven't shown true contrition for our sin. So how do we move from contrition to forgiveness with hope? Some of you guys are saying, get to the joy, Ty, get to the joy. We do that by the gift of God's word. We know how the story ends for God's people. Yes, we should be contrite, but we don't sit idle. All up in our feelings. Woe is me. Take me now, Lord. I deserve it. We do. We do deserve it. We deserve the death penalty. But Christ. But Christ. The joy of God's forgiveness comes when we recognize the depth of our sin. When we recognize who we've offended. And lastly, hear this, lastly, when we celebrate that life-changing grace flows from the cross of Christ. True joy comes from knowing God made a way from our sin through this act of repentance to His Son and back into the arms of our loving Savior. That is good news. We as Christians need to rejoice in this transformation that repentance brings. Because of Christ, we have been given a lifeline through this act of repentance to experience not a one-time thing, but an ongoing journey of renewal and growth in our faith. Through repentance, we are continually shaped into the image of Christ, filled with the joy of experiencing His presence and His work in our lives. You see, with the right view of repentance, we find assurance and security in God's unending love. Those aren't things to be sad about. Those are things to celebrate. So as we embrace the joy of repentance, we can be confident that God's forgiveness is complete. And his grace is sufficient. We can rejoice in the knowledge that through repentance we are continually welcomed into his loving embrace. And how do we know if our prayers of repentance are working? Well, Scripture uses the metaphor of the vine and the fruit a lot, and it's no different in repentance. True repentance is evidenced by a change in behavior and character. It's accompanied by a sincere desire to live a life that reflects God's love. That reflects his righteousness that reflects his mercy so the fruits of repentance that we should be seeing in our life if we're truly praying with repentant hearts it's humility we should see humility in our lives we should see love kindness forgiveness and a commitment to pursuing a life of holiness so this week i ask you where do you need to repent we all need to where do you who do you need to encourage to step into this joy of repentance? Some of you are walking alongside people who are going through some things. Who are making some choices. And we're more than happy to invite them to church. We're more than happy sometimes to pray for them off to the side, but what would it look like to have this conversation about what repentance, true repentance would look like in their life? What would it look like to to introduce them to that type of joy? What can you do to check your life for these fruits of repentance this week? And how is this going to impact your prayer life moving forward? All things to think about and take action with as you go and be disciples who make disciples. Let's pray together. And as I pray, I want to invite you to think about the words of this prayer of repentance. And I want you to step into this posture of repentance with me as we use a variation of the very same prayer that we just prayed found in Psalm 51. I want you to bow your heads with me and think about these words. Lord Jesus, I echo the words of the Apostle Paul. You came into this world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. I come to you guilty, a sinner, undeserving. And God, I ask you, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, God, wipe my record clean, scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins, Lord. Lord, this morning, I recognize my mistakes. My sins literally stare me in the face. And Lord, it's you. You're the one that I have violated. You've seen it all, the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you, so whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you, out of alignment, in the wrong since before I was born. And what you're after is truth from the inside out. So Lord, I give you control over every aspect of my life. Make a fresh start in me. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Father, I ask you to help me teach and share the truth of your gospel with those around me who need to hear your message of grace. So that the lost can find their way home. So that they too can experience the joy found in coming to you and laying down our sins. Asking for forgiveness. Lord, we recognize that just going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance on the outside is nothing to you if what's on the inside doesn't match up. You see right through us. You know the depths of our hearts and still you love us. Thank you for hearing our cry. Thank you for the gift and the joy of repentance. Thank you for making a way for us through your sacrifice. Be with us now as we are reminded of your covenant, as we partake in communion, as we go to your table and lay down our sins and our transgressions. We love you, Lord. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.